Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. On a series we're doing, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and um, actually, I haven't even made it through part one of my notes, but it's all right. We're just letting the Lord kind of lead us and guide us on that. And uh, I just want to make—I've been making these uh, few uh, statements to kind of preface what we're going to get into or what we've been getting into. And and really, you hate that you have to do this, but um, I think there's been so much misinformation on both ends when it comes to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There's been misinformation from those who are spirit-filled, and there's been misinformation from those who oppose it and who aren't. But as I said from the, from the very beginning, um, you can find a lot of things that the Bible speaks against, or we could say teaches against, in the Bible. But the Holy Spirit's not one of them. Uh, the infilling of the Holy Spirit's not, you, can never, you can't find anywhere in the Bible where it's spoken against. Yes, I understand that Paul had to bring some correction to a church, and correction is good. Um, he had to bring correction to the Corinthian church. And furthermore, I believe it should bring correction to every church that reads that if there is error. And when you're reading the Bible and you see something that is not lining up with your life, or if we see something that's not lining up with, our, with us as a church, we need to dig into that. And we need to uh, see maybe uh, if we're misunderstanding that or, or whatever. But due to the misinformation about that, there's uh, you know, a lot of um, skepticism uh, there's a lot of beliefs, and what I would ask you to do, as I, I really wasn't trying to be ugly to a person one time, but we were talking about it, and it came out before I, before I had a chance to catch it or, or maybe finesse it, <laughs> so to speak, but I was speaking to someone, and, and I, was, I was talking about, uh, they, well, they asked me a question about the infilling of the Holy Spirit, and so I was giving them the best answer I could, and especially when it comes to the subject of speaking in tongues. And when I did, the person said, well, I think, and before I thought it came out of my mouth, it doesn't matter what you think. I knew it would get real quiet like that. (laughs) But the Lord says his ways are above your ways and his thoughts higher than your thoughts. So it doesn't matter what I think and it doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what does the word say? And that, now that would offend a lot of people. What do you mean it don't matter what I think? It really doesn't. When it comes to the word of God, you've got to, you got to I'm not talking about take your, take your common sense away, but I'm saying you've got to let go of what you think and allow the word of God to change what you think. That's what the Bible says. It says renew your mind with the word of God. Well, if your mind didn't need renewing, if your thoughts didn't need changing, let's just be honest with you, you wouldn't be here this morning. I'm here this morning to be equipped. That's what the Bible says that, that the church really is about. The church has got the fivefold ministry operating in it, which is pastors and teachers and evangelists and so forth and so on. But the Bible says that, uh, that, that Jesus put those gifts in the church so that he could equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So one of the biggest hindrances to us doing what God has called us to do, a lot of times, it's not about how much money we have, and it's not about what house we live in or what car we drive. The biggest hindrance to us doing the will of God is the way we think. The biggest roadblocks in your life to doing what God's called you to do is the way you think. 
And I don't want to get in on a subject like that, but I just have to preface all this because people just, they'll, you'll, you'll just have your guard up. I will promise you this, that when I teach on the infilling of the Holy Spirit, it's not going to be like a lot of probably other spirit-filled denominations that you know that uh, I do not believe that you have to be filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues to be saved. There's, there's denominations that teach that. They preach that. They say that, you know, basically it's all one thing and if you didn't, if you didn't speak with tongues, you're not saved. I don't believe that. I believe you're only saved through Jesus' blood. That's it. That's the only way. The only way to heaven is through him. Amen? But I do believe in a second experience because we see it in the Bible. It's taught to the New Testament church, and it says it will never pass away. Now, I will say this. There are people who use a scripture that says that uh, tongues will pass away. But in that same phrase, it also says knowledge will pass away. Nobody here believes that knowledge has passed away, do you? So why are we cherry-picking what passes away? Because in that scripture, what it's saying is when that which is perfect has come, I believe that means when, when uh, the church is raptured back to the Lord and we're back as we ought to be, that when that which is perfect has come, then there'll be no need for tongues. There'll be no need for it. We'll be with him. I believe there'll be no need for knowledge because the Bible says when we see him, we shall be like him. Amen? Amen. So I don't believe that we'll, we'll have a need for studying and, and obtaining knowledge after we leave this earth, right? I know that's kind of getting into some things, but I, I just want you to see how people will take that and say, there, see, their tongue's passed away. It must have passed away a long time ago because I don't want to be confronted by it. Well, wait a minute. It says knowledge will pass away too. Nobody believes that knowledge has passed away, so at what point did it pass away? And say, well, it ended with the apostles or it ended with this or it ended with these people or that people. But we see evidence all the way through the Bible that regular people were filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. Apostles were, uh, prophets were, pastors were. Not only that, was encouraged to. Paul said over and over, he said one time, he said, forbid not to speak with tongues. Forbid not. I think that's pretty straightforward. I don't know how you could go around and teach against something that the Bible says forbid not to. Am, am, am I the only one that like, is missing that link there? Someone says in the Bible, forbid not, and then there are people who forbid people to do it and say that it is not God or it's of the devil or, or whatever and things like that. I think, it's, I think it's fear of the unknown, and therein lies the issue of, I think, where the spirit-filled churches come in. People, I'm not saying they haven't, but for the most part, when the infilling of the Holy Spirit is even brought up, it's brought up in a moment that maybe we were just in a while ago where we're singing and praising God and we can feel the anointing of the Lord and the Holy Spirit. How many of you would be honest with me and said a while ago in, the, in, the, in, in praise and worship, I felt the anointing of the Lord. I felt the tangible anointing of the Lord. Amen. So it's in moments like that that people will step out and go, hey, there's a second, you know, if you want to get filled with the Holy Spirit, come up here and get filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's not a lot of explanation. Now, some, some things are, uh, as they say, uh, some things are, 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 are taught and some things are caught. And I think that a lot of, uh, about the Holy Spirit is, 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 there, is a, there is something about that that when you're in the presence of God, you go like, if, if there's more than this, I want it, and, and you do. But at the same time, I believe there's been people who have gone about and preached the message of the, of the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit or they've talked about it and they've not given good explanation. They've not taught what's in the word, they've just said, well, 
get it or don't get it, but if you get it, you're more spiritual. If you don't get it, you're not more spiritual. And I don't believe that at all. I've met some people who claim to be spirit-filled as some of the meanest, nastiest people I've ever met in my life. And vice versa. So it's not that you're more spiritual because at the end of the day, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but you do not walk in love towards people, then you are not allowing the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. Because the Bible says that the love of God has been poured out in your spirit by the Holy Spirit. Amen? So if you want to walk around and speak in tongues, but then you want to get over on people or you want to treat people nasty and stuff like that, you might need to back up a little bit. Is this all right? I want to be very fair. I want to be very even. I want to be very transparent because I believe that spirit-filled versus people who are not spirit-filled is not a saints versus cowboys message. Does that make sense? We're saints fans. We're cowboys fans. We don't like each other. We hope y'all lose. We hope, I mean, that's not the church. That's not love, right? This is the third person of the Trinity who we have here on earth because the Bible says that the Lord is seated in heaven, our, our God's, God the Father is in heaven, and the Son is seated next to him, forever making intercession for us. He ascended, and when he ascended, after he came back to life and after he spent some time with the disciples, when he was ascending, he said, go and wait for the promise of the Father. Well, he had already taught them about this other helper, the Holy Spirit, he says he's a spirit of truth that'll lead and guide you into truth. He's already been talking about him. And he says he's coming. Actually, they're kind of bummed out. The disciples, which I would have been too. You gotta picture this. The disciples, Jesus has come to them and asked them to lay down their life, lay down their businesses and follow after him because they begin to realize that, this, uh, that Jesus is a king. And they're thinking completely and totally naturally. They're thinking that he's gonna be the king of Jerusalem, which he is, <laughs> king of the Jews. That's what was written across the, um, across the cross when he was crucified as a mockery towards him. But he was, but they were thinking completely and totally naturally. That's why they were fighting there at the end saying, who's gonna sit next to you when you reign in your kingdom? And he says, hey, don't worry about that. This is what I need you to do. So you gotta think about the position that they're in. They're only about three years into this and they're thinking Jesus is going to basically take over because, you know, Jerusalem was occupied by the Romans. The Romans were occupying everything. And so they're, they're literally, literally thinking we're a part of this small group that is going to grow into this large group. And we're going to overthrow the Roman government. And, we're, and Jesus is going to establish his kingdom. And because we were with him from the beginning, we're going to be higher up in the kingdom. There was only one problem. They didn't realize what kind of kingdom that Jesus was setting up. And so when Jesus finally began to reveal to them that he's gonna have to go away, they were understandably mad, right? I, wait a minute. I had a successful fishing business. I had a successful this, I had a successful that, and you asked me to lay it down to follow you, and I did, and now you're leaving? I've watched you do all these miracles. I've, actually, I've watched you do all these, all these things. You've spoken into our life. You've given us wisdom beyond what we ever could imagine. Actually, the Bible says that uh, when, when Peter and them would go and speak places, they would say, we perceive that these are ignorant and unlearned men, but we also see the wisdom on them, so we know they've been with Jesus. So just being around him made them wiser. And now he's saying after three years, and, and there's no sign that this kingdom is established, that he's gonna have to go away. And they're a little upset about it. 
And then Jesus says this. He says, if I don't go, he can't come. Meaning the Holy Spirit. If I don't go, he can't come. And then he says, it's more beneficial for you that I go and he comes. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't have been able to see that. Wouldn't have been able to understand that. And then he goes a step farther. He says, you know him because he's here with you. Meaning the Holy Spirit was in Jesus. Remember when he got baptized by John? The Bible says, John was told whom you see the Spirit descending on, that is the one that you're waiting for. So Jesus comes to John, and when Jesus comes to John, John just sees his cousin. I mean, he probably knew something was up with Jesus, right? But he just sees his cousin. But he'd been told by the Lord because, you know, Jesus is, is, is still, you know, being a carpenter and all this stuff, and John is the one with the ministry. John's out there, out in the desert, out in the wilderness, and he's, he's a wild man. He's out there baptizing people in water. And he's there to prepare the way of the Lord, and he's saying, I'm baptizing you in water under repentance, but there's one coming after me that I'm not worthy to lace his shoes. He's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what John is proclaiming. Jesus shows up where John's baptizing. John just sees his cousin, Jesus. Well, he knew something was up because when he stepped down in the water, John says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't need to be baptizing you, Jesus. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, John, this is how it has to be. Baptize me. And when he baptizes Jesus, he comes up out of the water. This is a great place where you get to see the Trinity all together, yet all working separately. Because as, he, as Jesus, the Son of God, comes up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. It didn't say the Holy Spirit is a dove. It says it's like a dove, like you would see a dove light on a branch or a tree. The Holy Spirit falls and anoints Jesus. So how do you know that Jesus wasn't, he, he got anointed at that moment in time because Acts 10 says it. Acts 10 said how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and he went about doing good and healing all those that were sick and oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And so Jesus is anointed of the Holy Spirit and he's now fast forward back to where uh, he's telling his disciples, I, I gotta go because if I don't go, he can't come. And they're all kind of bummed out because they don't understand. I thought, I thought, it, thought we had something going on, Jesus. We're your 12 and of course, you had even the inner three, and then you have the disciple whom Jesus loved the most. And you say, I didn't know God played favorites. Well, you know, God's no respecter of persons, but I think he likes to hang out with certain people more than others. No, that's, that's kind of a joke. So they're, they're bummed out, and this is what he tells them. He says, listen, you know him. I'm not sending somebody different. I'm not sending somebody you're not acquainted with. Jesus says, you know him because he's with you. Right now, he's with you. But watch this. He starts talking about when Jesus is gone, he says, you know him right now because he's with you, but he shall be in you. Amen? And that was Jesus talking to them about the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Is this okay? 
I'm not going to go too much farther. Just kind of giving you some nuggets here this morning. So Acts, the first chapter, the eighth verse, this has been our key verse. and says, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the ends of the earth. And so the Bible speaks about, we're, we're going to demonstrate one of the baptisms today. Uh, and somebody told me uh, the other day, which I don't know, you know, where they got, I'm not saying they're wrong. I don't know where they got their facts, but they were saying that there, there's maybe up to five or seven baptisms mentioned in the Bible, but I've only found four. You can find more, let me know. But a lot of times what we think about when we hear the word baptism is we think about what we're going to do today. Or we think about what John the Baptist did. You say, I thought that was the same thing. Nope, two, two completely different things. And uh, I'll show you this. So one of the baptisms that there's only been one person experience and will ever be one person experience is the baptism of suffering. And that was experienced by Jesus. Jesus was baptized into suffering when he died for us. Uh, the second type is water baptism under repentance, and that was performed by John. So when John was baptizing people in the wilderness, he's, he was not baptizing people like we baptize people today because it's a completely different thing. It was a precursor to Jesus coming because up until that point, the way that you get your sins forgiven was by a blood sacrifice. It was by a bull or a goat or a calf. That's Old Testament. So they would sacrifice bulls, goats, calves. They had all these different things. They had all these festivals. And that is how you satisfied the wrath of God. Well, Jesus is coming as a one sacrifice, one time for everybody. And it's not gonna be a sacrifice that you gotta continually make like you did, like the Old Testament sacrifices. See, you, uh, the, the Bible says the work of the priesthood was never done because they stood, um, you know, uh, sacrificing day and night. So it was all the time. They were all the time uh, sacrificing to keep God's wrath away from God's people. And that's how God set it up. He says, listen, until I can get a more permanent solution, I, you guys are gonna have to enter into this law. You're gonna have to enter into what we say. If you, for, if you make a sin, then every year at this time you do this, and every year at that time, and this sin requires this kind of sacrifice. It was a lot to keep up with. I challenge you to go study about all the different sacrifices they had to make. So that's why what John was doing was so revolutionary. Because John was going outside of what everybody knew you had to do to get your sins forgiven. And he was baptizing people in water under repentance. That was not a sacrifice. It was a precursor. It was something that God was using, uh, just as it says, that he's one in the wilderness uh, preparing the way for the Lord. He's preparing people for what is coming. There's a shift. There's something happening. We're, going, we're moving from the Old Testament way of doing things to the New Testament way of doing things. Been thousands of years of prophecy. Now Jesus is on the scene. He's ready to enter his earthly ministry. He's ready to go to the cross. He's ready to die for our sins. And so people are being prepared for that. So John launches this ministry of baptism given to him by the Lord. And the Lord says, uh, and God tells him, whoever you see the Holy Spirit descending on like a dove, he is the Lamb of God, he's come to take away the sins of the world, to completely take them away. And so that's when everything kind of shifted. So there's the baptism of sufferings experienced by Jesus. There's the water baptism under repentance performed by John the Baptist. We don't do that type of baptism anymore. Now, this is the type of baptism we do, and that's Christian baptism in water. And what this is, and I'm not trying to downplay it because I think it's a very spiritual thing to do. And, and, and the biggest reason why I believe this is a very spiritual thing to do is because Jesus commanded us to do it. There's really two things that he commanded us to do inside the church as something that is an ongoing thing. One thing was to take communion. 
And he said, as often as you do this, remember me. Remember the blood that was spilled for you. Remember the body that was broken for you. The other thing that he, uh, that he commands us to do is, is preach the gospel to people and baptize them, okay? And so that's why we baptize. And it's a symbol of what Jesus did for us. So when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for your sins. They laid him in a tomb. And then on the third day, he was what? He was resurrected. That's why we celebrate Easter, right? So on the third day, he was resurrected. When Jesus was resurrected, that's what we're reenacting. We're saying that we died, that we allowed Jesus to become our substitute and die in our place. And we went down in the tomb with him and then we're raised to life with him. This water, I don't know where it came from. Does it come from Logansport still or Paxton? I don't know. That's where the water came from. The water doesn't change you, but I say it like this. Did anything physically change about you the day you said your wedding vows? Did you become physically different? No. But something deeply changed about you when you said those vows, or should have. You made a commitment to someone, didn't you? Now, whether you honor that commitment or don't honor that commitment, that, that, that's up to you. But when you stood there and you made vows on your wedding day, or when you stand there and make vows on your wedding day, something profoundly changes on the inside of you because you stood before witnesses and you promised to love this person no matter what comes. You promised to stay by this person no matter what comes. When you get baptized, it's somewhat the same type of commitment. There's no physical change that happens to someone. It's water that we ran out of the faucet. But in our heart, what we're doing is we're saying, I received, see, you, hopefully, hopefully when you got married, you loved that person long before you said I do, right? You received that person as your significant other long before you said I do, correct? Well, you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and the next step is we want to show the world, or at least a big group of witnesses, I died with him and I'm raised to life with him. That's what we do when we're baptized. We're gonna demonstrate this morning. It really ties in great. I'm, I'm so thankful for those who, who wanna be baptized today. But what we're doing is, is, is we are showing everybody that we died with Christ and we're raised to new life. We made a commitment that we're gonna serve God, that we're a part of his kingdom now. The other thing that I think Christian baptism did back then, and I believe we're fastly approaching this gonna have to happen again, but right now, there's, you know, I, 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 I can go ahead and predict the future this morning. Um, when we baptize these three, there's not going to be any person stand up in rejection. There's not going to be any person drug out of here for being baptized and, and receiving Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior. My point is, there's not going to be any persecution this morning. There's going to be celebration. That wasn't the case back then. These people were open, openly professing to the world that they were receiving, they, they, have, they have switched over and they believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, Savior. Where a lot of the Jewish world believed that he was um, a, a, a heretic, that he was blasphemous. That was a big deal. The church was being persecuted. People were being killed. Stephen was stoned for his death. Or for his, uh, for his religion. He stood before people and preached and they, they stoned him to death. It's a little bit different today. I'm not saying it's any less important. But it's a little bit different. Back then, people, when they stood and they, they, they proclaimed uh, Jesus as Lord, 
You know, nowadays, I think we're kind of soft because most of us can't even proclaim Jesus as Lord on Facebook, much less think you're going to get persecuted for real. So, that was the third type of baptism. And the fourth type of baptism that you can find is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that is... The word baptism means, I think this is very important for you to understand, the word baptism means fully immersed. Fully immersed. I do believe that there's a work of the Holy Spirit at salvation. has to be. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17 says um, that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. So you're, you're born again. That's what we say. We use that terminology. We're born again. We receive Christ we're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away, everything's become new. Well, what, what happens is, is your spirit man is completely born brand new. It's brand new. It's not the old man, it's the new man. But also, I believe that, uh, and we can find this, find this, when we receive, that's why we say we receive Christ, what we actually received was his, was his Holy Spirit. So now, whereas before we had our mind, we had our will, we had our emotions, and we had an unborn again spirit, and we were listening to the enemy most of the time. How many of you growing up, you heard the old saying, the devil made me do it? Well, that's, that's kind of partly true. Why? Because you didn't think up that to do on your own, did you? You got, a, you got a, a, an unborn spirit, and as you get older, you're like, where did that temptation come from? Well, the, the devil knows how to, how to play, and he knows how to fish, in, a, in, in your mind and in your will and your emotions and then now you've got a spirit man on the inside of you who, who is, is not born again. But when you get saved, your spirit becomes brand new. Old things passed away, everything's become new and you have the Holy Spirit move on the inside of you. Now, we've got this ability to live for God. That's why when you got saved, hopefully when you got saved, there's a lot of things that maybe you used to do or maybe you used to give into that all of a sudden they just, they just begin to uh, uh, you know, feel wrong to you. And it's like, why, why? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not happy or I'm not, I'm not ignorantly blissful like I was. I knew I was kind of doing wrong, but now I've got this on the inside of me. And, and, and the devil tries to use that as guilt, shame, and condemnation. The Bible says there's no, now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Old things passed away. Everything has become new. But there is conviction. And the Holy Spirit will convict you. Anybody ever been in a place where the Holy Spirit convicted you? It's different. It's different than guilt, shame, and condemnation. Guilt, shame, and condemnation says you're a terrible person. You're horrible. God doesn't love you. You need to just go away somewhere. Conviction draws you because you experience how good God is and he says he leads us to repentance with his goodness. Is this making sense? So, the Holy Spirit moves on the inside of you during salvation. He's there. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, I believe, and I believe I can show you this in the word, is a second experience. Same Holy Spirit, it's a second experience, being baptized and fully immersed. The Holy Spirit's in there, but then you're fully immersed in it. Now, let's take this little side journey. Because a lot of times when people get, or when they're, they're, they're trying to get people baptized in the Holy Spirit or they're trying to prove their point, the reason why they want this is so that we can all act goofy in a church service. 
I don't believe that's what the Holy Spirit's for. Matter of fact, we'll go back to our main scripture. The Holy Spirit, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses. You shall receive power to be a witness. Now, as I said last week, when the people got filled with the Holy Spirit the first time, and subsequently you can see other things go on, they were a little different. They're a little odd to the natural thinking mind. So odd, in fact, when they, when they came out of the upper room after being filled for the first time, there was people that mocked them, not unlike today. There were people that mocked them and said, look at all these drunk people. Other people didn't because they noticed that these were, um, you know, they were not of the same, um, you know, um, ethnicity as the ones that were coming out uh, into the streets. And they, they heard them praising God in their native tongue. And they noticed that these people shouldn't speak that tongue, but I hear them speaking um, you know, in my language, giving the praises and the glory to God. But there were others that said, these people look drunk. And Peter had to stand up. And Peter said, these are not drunk as you suppose, seeing how it's only about nine o'clock in the morning. And we didn't just come out of the bar, we just came out of a, a, a praise and worship service, basically. And so I'm not saying that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit that there's not different behavior. And, and what I'll say about that is, a lot of people get the cart before the horse. They just want an excuse to act weird and say that God's doing it. Is it okay if I'm honest? I've been there. I've been in places where people use the Holy Spirit as an excuse to act weird. Because maybe they're just weird people. I don't know. Have y'all met any weird people on the earth? Some people are just weird. Right? But I've also been in a place where the Holy Spirit has been so strong in there that there's so much joy, there's so much peace, there's so much, there's so much of God that you forget about your cares and you forget about your worries and you kind of become like a kid and you're happy. And different people display happiness differently. Amen? I think where we went wrong is some people display happiness as running and jumping and leaping and other people display happiness with just a big grin and a chuckle. But the ones who will roll around, and not, not get on to you if you've ever done it, if you, the ones that roll around and jump and dance, and not, I'm, I've, I've been in it before. They began to look at the ones who weren't and say, well, if you don't do it like this, you don't got the right Holy Spirit. That's where we get off. We make um, the symptom, and I hate to use that word, but, but we use, we, we use the, the outward reaction to someone being filled with the Holy Spirit and being in the presence of God. We take that and we try to duplicate that. And that is as far away from what the infilling of the Holy Spirit is about as it can be. And that's where we run into trouble. And that's where people have gone in somewhere and go, nope, I don't want none of that. I don't want, you know, I had somebody tell me, uh, I, I don't want the Holy Spirit to, to make me lose control. Because I think that's what a lot of people look like. They look like they've lost control. And I said, well, the Holy Spirit's a gentleman. He's never gonna make you lose control. But I did tell a story one night it was years ago. 
we were having meetings. And I'll just say this, the more you talk about the Holy Spirit, the more you worship, the more you pray, the more he comes into the place. He's coming in stronger and stronger even now. There's a, there's a clarity to me being able to teach this right now and it's because of him because he leads us and guides us in the truth. But there was a time where I was leading worship and it was years ago when I was the worship leader here and not the pastor. And we began to worship and the more we worship, the more the presence of God just came into this place. And uh, just talking about losing control. Um, I was, I was standing on the platform there, and I, I don't know if I was over here. I think I was, because I've always set up over here. Um, but that particular night, I wasn't playing anything. I just had a microphone. And the more I worshiped, and the more I worshiped, the more the presence of God just, just filled the place. And all of a sudden, before I thought about it, I took off running. I'm not a runner. <laughs> I'm not built for speed. I got low-end power. But I, I did. I, I, before I could think about it, I just took off. And then all of a sudden, I came to myself uh, right about the time I got to that end of that first step. And I just put the brakes on and kind of dangled there a minute. And then I was able to come back. Oh, what, what is that? I had control. I could have jumped off and ran three or four laps and rolled around all that stuff. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying when you make the Holy Spirit and the things of the Spirit and you boil them down to just the reaction to the presence of God, you've missed the point. The infilling of the Holy Spirit was meant by Jesus and meant by God to be an additive to our Christian life so that we could do what he's called us and created us to do. An added benefit to that is that there's joy in our life and there's peace in our life. And I'm not saying everybody, I'm not saying that you don't have to work at it, but I'm just saying there's, 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 a, there's something else to tap into, a different way to tap into those things. And it's taught all throughout um, the, the New Testament mainly, but some in the Old Testament. A, there's, there's prophecy about it in the, in, the, in the Old Testament. But I think a lot of times people go, oh, that's so if you're filled with the Spirit, well, I want to be filled with the Spirit, so i got to act like that. And then they're, they're mimicking what may have happened to somebody, just like if somebody had seen me run and stop, and then every, every time somebody wanted to say they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they, they, they took 15 steps and stopped, and then, no, that's just something that happened to me. Right. Is this making any kind of sense? Oh, yeah. But I didn't make that out to be, this is something the Holy Spirit, it, it was a reaction based on the joy level that was in my heart. When I lift up my hands in worship, it's a reaction to how much I love God and I'm surrendering to him. We don't need to make that a doctrine, although the Bible says, I wish that men everywhere would lift up holy hands. So there's biblical scripture for that. But I think it's an instinct. I think it's a reaction to opening yourself up to God. I don't sing and worship because I want people to hear my voice. I want God to hear my voice. And I want to help you lift up your voice to him too. Why? Because I know how powerful it is when we lift up a voice of triumph unto the Lord. There's biblical scripture for that too. You say, I just don't get all that stuff. Well, some of it is things that we do by faith first 
And then we allow God to, it's gotta be biblical. We can't just do anything that we want, but it's gotta be biblical. But you know, a lot of times I lift up my hands on, on faith. I don't feel like it. I feel like doing the opposite. And that's a lot of times why I will do it anyway. Because I feel like if there's something holding me back from being completely open and honest with God, then that thing that is holding me back is trying to hold me back from God. Does that make any sense? And I don't want anything holding me back from God. So I'm kind of this way. If, if, if the enemy or just my own mind or whatever is trying to get me to stop doing something that is biblical or that I know has benefited me through worshiping God, and I'm getting this, don't do that, that you look silly, you look stupid. I know that's not the Holy Spirit. I know that's the enemy trying to keep me away from getting free. Amen? But do you, put a, do you tie a doctrine to it that says, if, if, if you don't lift up your hands, you're not free? No. If you don't dance before the Lord, you're not free? No. But I can also tell you this, and I'm going to get real personal, if that's okay. I've seen almost every single one of you get absolutely ignorantly happy about some things. So it's in there. Do I have to say what it is? I've seen you watch your kid win an important baseball game, softball game, football game. I've seen people when their ship has come in, so to speak, they, they made a good deal. And the joy that comes on your face, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying, why do you limit it to natural things? Is that a fair question? Why do you limit it to natural things? I'm not trying to make you do anything. I don't want you to do it because you feel like you're made to. I'm just simply asking questions about why do you approach God so reserved when the Lord wants to bring you freedom, joy, happiness. Say, brother, when I got my hand half cocked and a smile on my face, I'm happy. Good, good, just do that. I'm not here to tell you how to worship. I think that's been the problem. But I will say, if I walk back to that person with the half-cocked hand or hands in the pockets and I hand you a $10 million check, I might get a backflip out of you. Might. Just saying. It's just food for thought anyway. But I, I really just want you to think about why you believe the things that you believe. Where did that come from? Did it come from the Bible? Did it come from somebody maybe you respected that was, you know, a very spiritual person? That's fine. That's good. There's been a lot of people in my life, or I wouldn't say a lot, but there's been, there's been certain people in my life that have taught me things about certain things in the Bible that I have come to realize that, you know, maybe they just didn't, maybe they didn't know. I want every bit of what God has for me. And it's, um, it's not fair of me to have found something that frees me, that brings me peace. We were talking about it in the back room. Um, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, praying in tongues, probably, well, at least since I was 17. So at least 25 years. 
And almost every time, especially in the morning when I go to do that, my flesh makes me hesitate. I don't feel like it. I'll put it in layman's terms. I don't feel like it. But I've never left a time where I prayed in the Holy Spirit where I didn't come out of there happier, more peaceful, clearer understanding. More importantly, the thing that was weighing on me, the stresses of your life, I just come out of there and they're a whole lot smaller. They're a whole lot smaller. And so it wouldn't be fair to me to have lived my life for the last 25 years. It's not a secret, but I'll say with a secret of how I have grown in the Lord and not tell it to you. And I'll say this without a doubt. Reading my Bible and praying in the Holy Spirit have been the thing that has grown me more than anything. I'm not tooting my own horn. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying to bring a point. I've had more people come up to me since I've been back and talk about the, the spiritual growth of the teaching and the preaching of the word that has happened. Because they, y'all have known me since I was 19 years old. That didn't happen just because I turned 42. It happened because I read the word as, as it is, it's alive, it's quick, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, it's able to divide. I read it as the person of Jesus. This is Jesus, this is, he's the word. I consume it, I don't just read it for knowledge, I consume it, and I pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to say I'm better than anybody, I don't believe that at all. I'm saying that if I found a field that no matter how much gold you extracted out of that ground, there was always more. And I didn't tell you I would be a greedy person. There's a field that is full of gold when you pray in the Spirit that never runs dry. Doesn't matter how much I take or how much you take, it's always there. And if I didn't tell you about it, I would be a neglectful pastor, minister, and a greedy person. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.